This week on High Performance, Sir Keir Starmer. Let's start the podcast with the way that we always do. In your mind, what is high performance? Well, that's a very good question. And I think, to my mind, high performance is about grind set. You know, for me, leading the Labour Party, I'm waking up at 5am. I'm looking up the dictionary entry for the word important. Then I move on to thinking about important things, like the economy and stacking the dishwasher correctly. Because these things matter. I then move on to thinking about what I want to achieve. A fairer society, the introduction of savoury vapes, cataloguing my printer paper into its various categories by colour, off-white, eggshell, cream. Because these small things matter a lot when you're trying to get things right for working people. Hello and welcome back to this free episode of TF. It is, of it's course, the fucking free one, cunt. It is me. <laughs> it's Riley. It is an exhausted Milo down in Australia. Oh boy, is it five fifteen a.m. Yeah. And of course, there is also Alice up in Glasgow, where it's a normal time. It's the normal time mm. here, which means I'm I'm not so you know lethargic. I'm not suffering mm. so much. Mm-hmm. It's the global time. (laughs) Later on in the episode, we are going to talk to Dan McQuillan, a lecturer in creative and social computing, and who has written a a really interesting book on resisting AI, not just nice AI, but resisting AI. And we're going to talk about that in the context of a, let's say, very self-promotey open letter written by, uh, among others, Elon Musk, uh, various sort of tech grandees. People who quite notably work in AI firms that aren't OpenAI, uh, demanding more regulation of AI, and that AI, OpenAI, please stop developing new models so we can catch up. Uh, but before we do all that, we've we've got a few few things to talk about. A couple of a couple of one or two things. Um, and there are some things, by the way, that people have been clamoring for us to cover. Yes, we have seen all of the Binance stuff how they basically had a bunch of their group chats where they said, we're going to commit crime really well, uh, seen by the SEC, which was super funny. Yeah. Well, that's good. If you want to, you know, if you want to commit crime, you may as well do it well. Like, I respect yeah. their It's important uh, to have it organized, detail. you know? Like, you should be taking notes on a criminal conspiracy, because how else are you going to keep the conspiracy working? <laughs> yeah. We've also seen that, that Hindenburg has a new report out. We're going to cover that on later episodes. Being prosecuted under the RICO Act and going, well, excuse me for being a girl boss. <laughs> uh, and, and also, uh, there's various Labour Party developments, such as Corbyn being formally banned from running in Islington North, where all the legal opinions have been that it's because he like lost the 2019 election. And all of the media opinions have like people in... Um, uh, like labor grandees and stuff go on on like you know good morning britain or uh, good morning britain i guess they wouldn't go in good morning britain the other shows you know the shows they're like oh well it was the anti-semitism uh so you know it's um odd what stories get told where and what holds up where i mean i will also say about corvin just really quickly that we thought for a while that the labor party might put in someone with like name recognition to be the um like the labor candidate in islington north against him 
um, just to like really avoid throwing someone to the wolves and just to, like really sort of like twist the knife a bit. Instead, what they did was they they ran a guy called Prefel Nagand, who is like a thirty two year old who runs a chain of IVF clinics. So the the guy who like jerks people off professionally is going to be going up against Corbin and like losing by bath party margin. What? So that's going to be fun. He's creating his own supporter base. Yeah. <laughs> playing the long game doing like the boys from brazil brackets like labor right where you're just like jerking people off into tubes and being like you know pretty soon this is all gonna like multiply out and then then jordan peterson saw a guy a video of this guy at work and was like oh my god <laughs> please tell me it isn't true Anyway, I actually had another bunch of things to talk about before we get to the startup of yeah, the and interview then I with Dan. Obliterated every single one of them with by a handing you rod yeah, from space. A last minute sort of note folded up. I, I like you've seen that picture of George W. Bush being told nine eleven is happening. That's you in your oh, DMs yeah. this morning um, yeah. when yeah. I when I discovered this. Mm. Did Riley continue reading the book for a little while? Yes, <laughs> he did. He kept working on the notes, the like, you know, exquisitely arranged notes for a while, and then, you know, sort of yielded to the force of this one news item. I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain. It superseded the fact that the UK is no longer doing an NFT from the Treasury. They shelved that project. This has superseded that. Mm. That's right. In Friday, this is from Jezebel. In Friday last week, Reese Witherspoon has announced that she is splitting up with Jim Toth, her husband of nearly 12 years. Jim uh, Toth. Now, no, hang on. <laughs> Wait till I get through this whole paragraph, please, because it ends in the, a way that you won't expect that's awesome. <laughs> I'm at the gym looking for tops. <laughs> While other celebrity news has kept us distracted for the past few days, and it certainly has kept me distracted, we now finally glimpse into what may have prompted the end of their marriage. Speaking to Radar Online, at least one insider close to the couple blamed it all on Quibi. Oh, no, the, the, no. The, the horrifying effects of long quib. That's right. Is it the golden arm? I, it's a, I think the question is, you're like, what? What state of fright is this? When your marriage <laughs> this is the ends California of state of horror, is your marriage implodes like a year after because of quibby. A, f a fifty states of fright, where it's a guy who just gets skied into by Gwyneth Paltrow and loses his ability <laughs> to enjoy wine tasting. So, we should pivot to being a celebrity news podcast. Yeah, <laughs> the celebs are at, at it. it again. This the celebs have never been more at it than that's, Reese that's Witherspoon true. and her producer husband getting divorced true. because of Quibi. What? How is this? They're Quibi's at it, Jerry. They're <laughs> at it. <laughs> how is this Quibi's fault? Well, uh, look, I assume that he got so distracted by all of the addictive bite-sized entertainment available on Quibi that he stopped paying attention to his marriage, but we'll read on for fun. Um, so, the marriage fell apart as a result of Toth's midlife crisis, which prompted him to j leave his successful agency job to join Quibi. Getting, oh, no. getting in on the ground floor of quibs is a, is like a great like midlife crisis thing to do. You know, I'm gonna pack mm. it all in. I'm gonna I'm gonna do quibs. You're, you're getting in on the ground floor of the elevator from that movie Devil. It was either <laughs> that or buy a TVR Tuscan. Yeah, so it's Toth 
worked as an agent at CAA for years and served a whole roster of A-listers, but left the agency to become head of content acquisitions and talent at Quibi in 2019, which means he made the decision to greenlight 50 States of Fright. This is a man who, who midwifed the golden arm into being. Hey, and I tell you what, he he acquired some fucking content and some talent. I mean, Sam Raimi directed the golden arm thing. Like... <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to say this, but you said midwife the golden arm into being, and I did just imagine this man pulling a golden arm out of a woman's pussy. So thank you for that. Yeah, the oh, midwife crisis. Yeah. Leaving, so, quote, this is from one of the sources. We're leaving his a midwife crisis. <laughs> uh, that would be like a great attack line for a shadow health secretary. You know, I'm, I'm wasted doing podcasts. I should be like a spad in the office of whoever the shadow health secretary is. Be like, no, you could you could fucking get their asses with this one. It's a midwife crisis. So leaving his position at CAA to join Quibi was a huge gamble. It sure was. Hopefully, <laughs> was it? Yeah, and pl- uh, playing you know, so Zhukovsky rules. He like went into the casino. <laughs> Put it all like, on blue. <laughs> yeah, it was not really an option in roulette, but he managed. Yeah, he he put a blue napkin on the table and said, "I think this could win." Uh, <laughs> or he's he's hitting on twenty one basically. Says at the time. Reese asked Jim if it was worth the risk, but he says he was up for the challenge and felt confident he'd bring home millions. Womp. Sad, millions. you know? It says, and that's the other thing, like, the, um, in 2021, so after Quibi had failed and died and stuff, uh, Reese Witherspoon sold her production company for, like, just shy of a billion dollars. Like, at the what? height of zero rates, she did this. I, I, I know zero gravity and everything, but, like, how? What? 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 How, how did you? Uh, okay, never mind. Okay, so so Reese Witherspoon has more money than God at this point. Um, and and you know you know that she couldn't let the Quibby thing go either. Just like you know, on the couch. Uh, you know, oh, what should we order today? Oh, can we get it on your card because of the like billion dollars that you have? Um, and then, you know, it just circles inevitably back to the, well, you didn't have to take the job at Quibi, did you? And it just kind of goes from there, you know. She, she <laughs> wanted the role Quib- in the golden arm, and he wouldn't give it to her, and she's <laughs> yeah. not going to let him let it down. Uh, so, uh, by the way, Hello, Hello Sunshine uh, aims to broaden perspective and empower women by giving them authorship, agency, and a platform to help them shape culture. It certainly did help one I, woman do that. I think I have COVID. None of that means anything. Yeah. Uh, I feel yeah. like I've just been hit in the head with a oh, hammer. Oh yeah, by the way, like, if you want to know who bought it, it's Blackstone. Blackstone bought it. <laughs> Blackstone okay, bought. so like half of all the houses in America and also Reese Witherspoon's like guaranteed income forever. <laughs> yeah, Hello. correct. Correct. Hello Sunshine really does sound like a kind of uh like an organization that does day trips for the mentally impaired. <laughs> I was thinking like thing you get woken up by when you're being arrested by the Sweeney. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of going more of a geezer direction as well. <laughs> Uh, anyway, <laughs> Reese so, Witherspoon is Detective Inspector John Regan, you know? So any, anyway, apparently, uh, Toth was also a founding board member, so he's also richer than God as well. I think they just couldn't get over the fact that he made such an ass of himself that being involved in Quibi that their marriage did eventually end. It's like, just like in bed, you know, he's got like a sleep mask on, uh, she's, she's reading, you know, they're about to go to bed and she just goes... Bury me with my golden arm. <laughs> I mean, I, I do would, that all the time. Yeah. 
Perfect. Yeah. No, I just love the idea of like Reese Witherspoon like psychologically like bullying this man over his own shitty decision. You know, like, uh, that pleases me to imagine. Let's, for some there's reason. one other, a couple other things I want to talk about before we get into the interview. Uh, one of which is, of course, uh, yet again, America's savviest Republicans and uh, some Democrats also have gotten together to uh, question the CEO of a big tech company, but this time with Cold War 2.0 overtones. Uh, yeah, this was yeah. great. Um, sorry, I'll, I'll let you introduce yeah. it. But like, it's very I, funny. I, I, yeah, I mean, the thing is, right? All tech CEOs should be should be treated like this, which is to say, insanely racistly. Yeah. I, I, uh, so this is uh, uh, Shochu, the uh, CEO of TikTok, a a Singaporean, and this is crucial, Singaporean. Uh, yes, this man. will be important later. <laughs> yeah was being uh, sort of questioned by, again, people, a, a group I wish included Greg Stubbe. Unfortunately, I did check. Greg Stubbe was not involved in this case. Yeah, that's a shame. He was busy lifting. Damn shame. Uh, no, well, che yeah. checking after him, I did find a headline from about eight months ago. Uh, Republican representative Greg Stubbe waves guns around during virtual hearing on gun safety. Quote, I can He's do so whatever cool. I want with my guns, said Stubbe, who later on wouldn't clarify if any of the weapons were loaded. Awesome. <laughs> I love Mr. him. Mr. Subi is... <laughs> is that gun you pointed at your head loaded? What are you, a cop? Yeah. I also like the idea that he refused... Like, you can just lie, Greg. Even if they were loaded, you can just say no. But Or, or say yes, if that's what you want people to say. Yeah. I'm intrigued by the fact that he wants it to be Schrodinger's gun. Like, he believes it's important to the message. <laughs> yeah. So it preserves an air of mystery. You know yeah. why? I'll tell you why. It's because, like, well, okay, when Ron DeSanctimonious is eventually crushed under the Trump train and can no longer mm. has enough sauce to be, like, governor of Florida, there's only one man who I think is up to the job, and it's the kind of guy who will point a gun at a computer and then not clarify if it's loaded. <laughs> that is true. That anyway, is anyway. sourced up. That no, is go that's to. true. Great. Oh, he's sourced up as fuck. Greg Stubbe, Greg Stubbe is the most sauced uh, sort of uh, congressional level politician in America right now. That's true. Yeah. I believe that. I by believe that. by far, we have look. We've been following his career for a long time. We're very excited for him to go up to mm. the bigs. Uh, but American Matt Hancock, big guy. So so uh, he's you know, incredible, folks. They, they love him. They want I, it. You want me to get him out? They don't want me to show you Stubbe, but I'll do it. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about the hearings. And, Let's talk. Oh my god, Milo's become a ghost. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the hearings. So the yeah, because this is yeah. about TikTok, yeah. right? We're going to ban TikTok. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so Shuchu is the dancing. CEO of of TikTok. Mm, thank God. Most of the questioning was basically just saying that the app, which is get not not allowed in China, again probably for like wanting to be more on like WeChat style things, reasons is being used for control, mm. surveillance, and manipulation of Americans including children, which is, you know, probably right. But that's, you know. that's true. Like, this is true of all apps. And this is why I'm like, yeah, we should, like, treat all tech CEOs in this hostile way. But the only way American knows how to be hostile to a tech CEO is to be racist. So, uh, yeah, fuck it. Let's just, let's do it, you know? What shall we? Have, have Dan Crenshaw, like, ask Tim Apple whether he's a member of the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> yeah, like, I love the idea of just, like, so many people in, this, in the Senate or Congress or whatever being, like, so old that they can't even tell what race the tech CEO is. They can't see that far. They're having to, like, guess. Just a, just a guy doing, like, rice paddy hat bits at Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> would be very funny. <laughs> but Mark Zuckerberg is as Chinese as the CEO of TikTok is, which is to say not so like yeah 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the uh, I, I do think the uh, this this does create an opening for a certain millennial comedian to be a sort of uh, the perfect tech CEO that will confuse Congress. Um, yeah, Dan Naiman <laughs> has been appointed to the board of TikTok. Yeah, can't tell a race mm-hmm. he is. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Richard Hudson, however, a Republican from North Carolina, asked the Stubby question um, of. Uh, of of Chu, it's an airport paperback. Yeah. The Stubby imperative. Yeah. Well, so yeah. he, uh, as if you remember, the, gra- the Stubby gambit. If you recall, the Stubby question was, "How come all of my campaign materials go to spam? Are you de boosting conservatives and Gmail? Why videos of me dancing to Harry Styles not appearing in people's for you page?" Uh, so, <laughs> the, so there was less of that this time. It was much more like, "Are you do- are you doing what every social media company's does, but Chinesely?" Mm. Yeah, are, are you like abstracting people's data? Yes. Are mm. you like exploiting misinformation? Yes. Are you like kind of like brainwashing children? Yes. Are you doing mm. all of those things while being Chinese? Mm. Would, no, would you, but like, would you say that TikTok? <laughs> would you say that TikTok's algorithm acts as a kind of finger trap for children? So, <laughs> so, the Stubby question in this case was act, asked by Richard Hudson, a Republican from North Carolina, who asked whether the app accesses the Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah, I saw this clip. Y- you know what? Maybe it does, though. No, I think I'm... And for this reason, we're about to pass the Restrict Act, I think it's yep. called, which is legitimately uh, d- no more internet allowed. Yep. Uh, all, all social media mm-hmm. now banned mm-hmm. because, you know, Grandpa wants to know why you're not getting his campaign ads. Yeah. So It's very uh, funny like, just to turn the internet off in response to like, you know what? Yeah. No, it was a mistake. We're go- It's become Chinese. <laughs> For that reason, <laughs> we have to turn it off. It's turning like, the kids Chinese. Yeah. If you, if you like look at the like actual provisions of this, they're like... It's up there with the fucking Patriot Act. It's sociopathically draconian. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I I actually, so one of the examples of something from this bill is that, you know, again, because of stuff like TikTok, directly because of this reaction to stuff like TikTok, uh, you have 20 year prison sentences for like connecting to a VPN that's based in a sort of designated enemy country. Mm. The the thing about TikTok is that they're getting it sort of like on a bipartisan basis. Um, they have like no friends in Congress. They don't even have like sort of the the tame congressman from California to be like, oh, I think you're an important California business that like you know uh, Americans do. Well, there's um, no congressman so, like- for China. But what <laughs> yeah. we have is so, yeah. so you have like a like a lib sort of like anti TikTok thing, which is y- you are like uh, stealing all of our data and making our kids kill themselves, which, yeah. Mm. And then there's the Republican, like, anti-TikTok thing, which is, you are stealing all of our data, brackets Chinese, and making our kids gay. Yeah. Which, I, I don't think TikTok does that. And of course, with the Republicans, uh, Chaya Ratchik was just there, right? Just with banned TikTok oh, cool. shirts. Um, and the only, like, the only person... But, but that's, that's your business model. You, you can't just be libs of. Like, what? I, I mean, I've heard of, like, sort of, like, shitting where you eat, but this is ridiculous. Like... Uh, yeah, but also, it's like, it goes back to just the fact that the, the, that no one, because no one can see the difference between 
TikTok and all the other sort of, let's say, patriotic American mass spying to sell you ads organizations and keep you addicted to your fucking phone. Uh, the only person uh, sort of saying, hey, this is kind of weird is Jamal Bowman. Um, and on the other side, by the way, this isn't just happening in America. It's happening in Europe as well. Europe's largest maker of ammunition has claimed that the power demand by a TikTok data center is preventing them from making shells to send to Ukraine. We've brought it all together. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, TikTok's <laughs> playing 7D chess here to help the Russians yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just running the like thermostat at like Taylor Lawrence levels purely to try and like abstract electricity. I I mean the thing is right TikTok is legitimately terrible for a lot of the reasons that like some of the saner members of Congress identified and I've seen Disney adult TikToks that's a good enough reason yes. to ban it. Yeah. You spend like half an hour on like if you just make a TikTok account right now and spend half an hour scrolling the like whatever for you it serves you before it knows anything about you you will agree that TikTok should also be banned. It's just like the the way in which we're doing it, the fact that like we're doing it out of like a bizarre set of like misguided impulses, uh, and the fact that we're also managing to like hook in a bunch more like places for for the feds to control the internet and social media, also not ideal. Yeah, uh, and the fact that again, this is all a part of a giant push to, you know, I think like. It's part of a it's part of a larger giant deglobalization push, which like I think it takes mm. a, a whole episode on its own, right? But there is a the fact again, like it's a deglobalization push that's being created by the resumption of Cold War style hostilities between blocks of nations uh, is a sort of scary thing. And the fact that though this is they need to sever a lot of these links that have um, that have grown. Uh, information links, for example, right between different to internets of different countries, um, you know, and, and the fact that you know we're, we looked at the Great Firewall of China and we're like, great idea, let's do the Restrict Act, mm. perfect, we love it. Anyway, before we get into our interview, though, I, I do want to do a quick little startup because this one was fun. Um, it's called Jenny with an I, and I want you to tell me mm. what it does. Eight six seven five three zero nine. I uh, okay. What does Jenny do? Yeah. Um, What's Jenny up to? Can, give me, give me like something here. Our that, mission, like more than just a name. Our mission is to usher in a new era of human creativity through artificial intelligence. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Milo, what do you think? Have any idea how little that narrows it down? <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. I have their, I have their mission statement. Uh, be bold. We are ambitious and non-complacent. We have a hunger to achieve against great odds, and we believe that making bold bets is better than inaction. Be lean. We, are at, we use the least to achieve the most and avoid waste and time and resources by directing energy to high-impact endeavors. Be unorthodox. Everyone makes a difference by introducing new perspectives and fighting conformity. We embrace feedback it's while not, constantly challenging ideas. This is like three pillars so far. Yeah, is it, yeah three, the three Sorry. pillars of Islam. Is it, are they <laughs> gonna, uh, is it like a Google Home that gives you like wanking instructions in like mm. a sexy voice? Yeah, of how, to, of how to create a new generation of labor right voters in Islington North. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe this, the last of their four values might help. So it's values, not a mission statement. Be scholarly. Seeking the truth is of utmost importance. We strive to ensure that our knowledge never stagnates and that our decisions are driven by evidence. So it's scholarly. Oh, it, it helps you with essays? It's like a tutor? Ding, ding, ding. 
That's right. Ah, oh, for fuck's no, sake. Okay, yeah. great. Because I, I just went to like, what's the most precarious job we could automate? Uh, tutors. So it's not actually tutors. It's for like postdocs and people writing academic papers. Uh, it was, it was uh, uh, sort of shown, oh. it was discovered by a friend of the show, Jathan Sadowski. And I just thought, we got to talk about this. Uh, yes, that's right. You can supercharge your writing with the most advanced AI writing assistant. Essays, blog posts, personal statements, stories, literature reviews, speeches, etc. You can supercharge your not- writing, by which I mean make it sound really stupid. <laughs> for, for, for the small cost of violating every university in the world's plagiarism policy, you too can make your writing sound worse. Oh, oh they actually uh, answer that in their FAQs. Does Jenny plagiarize? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, um, thanks. <laughs> What a, what a, what a, like, like, here's the thing, if I wanted to do this, I, w- the first thing I would do would be to, like, get the imprimatur of, like, some kind of gullible or, like, easily bought institution, like, the fucking, like, University of Austin or whatever, you know, Hollywood Upstairs Medical School, I would, like, get their name on it so I could be like, look, someone's saying this is okay to submit work with. Have have they have they done that or is this purely like well they have no we're just saying it was they so they have like Harvard and Cambridge and Meta and MIT and stuff like all like just mm-hmm. uh, just scrolling the logos across their website they don't say exactly what their relationship is with these, these are just- the logos <laughs> of some universities uh, we have the AI <laughs> compile them just so you know what a university is so it says did Jenny plagiarize Jenny strives to generate content that has zero has zero percent plagiarism. However, occasionally there may be sentences that Jenny writes that also happen to be on the web, like, for example, all the time. Again, maybe, cool. maybe what you've done is, what you, instead of plagiarizing, what you've done is you've taken four sentences and then you've created a fifth sentence by mashing the four pre-existing sentences together. I would argue spiritually... Even if it's 100% original, it's still plagiarism because the question in, in plagiarism is, did you, like, did you write this named human person? And if the answer is... I put a I put a prompt in for it. Then uh, no, you didn't. Uh, so the the thing that, about this right is think about again like what is academic writing? Mostly, it's something that's done as a kind of ritual to produce papers that fucking nobody is ever going to read. And so now those papers that no one reads are not written by anyone either. Amazing. I mean, in a way, that is the perfect synergy, right? No, so what you do, and this is <laughs> this is like posted on a Twitter thread by like an AI success guy. He says, okay, go to Jenny.ai, type in the title of your article, then Jenny gets you started with the first sentence. And then if you like it, press the right arrow key to accept. And if you don't like it, you can reset and have an alternative first sentence. And then you can just keep telling it to write with more depth and so on and so on until it produces an entire paper again and not like just like a class paper but like something you submit to publication based on ai um i mean i'm not gonna get like too too up myself about plagiarism in that like there is already a ton of plagiarism in every university course every you know doctoral thesis or whatever fine but like this really feels like a new low well i I think it comes back to it's less about the product itself and more about Mm. what the fact that the product can exist says about the thing that it's acting on which is how just how degraded and unfit for purpose is the entire process of like being a postdoc at a university that your job can be done by autocomplete 
and it's fine because no one's ever going to read it. You just have to keep the number of pages beside your name ticking up. Test out what you really think about thermodynamics by typing thermodynamics <laughs> is into your autocomplete. <laughs> yeah, but how is this going to work on like sort of the highly technical, less speculative end? Well, because that's the thing. You probably mm. won't, right? It, cool. This probably would work on like English literature papers, like stuff that's say, easily... well, Not to be like a STEM lord or anything, but when the rubber meets the road on like, you know, is this, does this make sense? Um, like, there are places where that's in starker relief, and this is just gonna, like, trip over all of those hurdles. The peak application for this will absolutely be in business schools. Like, in the, yes, in the yeah. fucking, like, organizational psychology department. Like, fuck me, are they gonna be using ChatGPT to write their papers? I feel like, spiritually, they already are. When I was in the business <laughs> faculty, my god, did I meet some fucking ChatGPT brain MFs. You did, did feel like talking to an AI sometimes. Well, I, I got, this is this comes back to something we talk about, which is if your job, if your thing can be done by an AI, it doesn't mean the AI is good. It means you were already an AI. Well, yeah, yeah. Keir Starmer's speeches, for example. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, anyway, that's all good fun, but I think it's time uh, to hand over to me and Alice to talk to Dan for a little while while Milo goes and lies in his bed, puts a little feather on his mouth. And mm. goes honk me 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 for another two or three hours until it's time to get up. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right. So good night, uh, Milo. Uh, yeah. Nighty night. Sleep well. Hey. And before I go, yeah. uh, shows. Uh, I'm, shows. I'm at the Melbourne Comedy Festival until the 23rd of April. Will you Please be this come. tired? There are. I won't because it'll be a, a normal time um, here, but a weird time in the UK. Um, th th there are so many tickets. Please buy some or all of them. Um, also, on the 12th of April, I'm doing a preview of a new show also in Melbourne. If you've already seen that old show and you want to see something else, that'll probably sell out. So grab tickets that we can. And we're going on a UK tour. We're in we Birmingham. We're in Leeds. We're in Manchester. We're in Glasgow. In Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. The tickets for that are on. If you go to trashfuture.co.uk slash events... Yeah, I you'll find it. it. It'll be in the I show notes. So. Nate yeah. will put it in the show notes. Yeah, he's yeah. good like that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Tickets right. are selling, so grab them. Well, uh, and over to uh, me and Alice. So talk to you in a sec, everybody, and good night, Milo. Night. Hello and welcome back to the second half. Milo has trundled back off to bed, and Alice and I are now joined. Uh, by, by Dan McQuillan, uh, an academic and the author of Resisting AI, an Anti-Fascist Approach to Artificial Intelligence. Dan, thank you very much for coming on. And how are you doing today? Uh, you're very welcome. I'm a bit knackered, to be honest, but I'm sure I'll liven up as we get going. It's, it's the sleepiness episode. <laughs> you know, Riley was sort of like dead on his feet earlier and, you know, it's, it's fine. I'll say I, I, I really bounced back. I, uh, I'm no longer feeling ill. I went to the gym earlier. Uh, I'm feeling You're great. very energized by like thinking about Quibi. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and I thought that uh, it would be really interesting for us to reflect on what has become, what has very quickly become, I think, one of the pieces of, um, you might say, the, pol the uh, artifacts of the politics of AI. Um, 
which is, of course, an open letter that has been written and signed by a bunch of people who have invested in AI other than OpenAI. <laughs> Some big names on this. Um, this is like big news. About the kind of existential threat that two advanced AIs could pose humanity. And just, Dan, as a general starter for 10, so how do you feel about that overall line of argument? Apart from it being complete rubbish, I suppose we should ask what purpose it's actually meant to serve. And I think it's mostly diversionary. I mean, there are also um, a cohort of true believers. Um, I'm not sure which is a more dangerous front. Hmm. And when we say diversionary, what are is the, are we suggesting it is um, sort of like a jingling keys of just like, hey, keep investing in AI, keep on hyping AI. Oh, I own a bunch of AI companies and would like everyone to invest in them so I can enjoy the crypto boom again, basically. Or is it something else? No, I'm sure that plays a part in you know the, the seriousness of the money that's at play in this business at the moment. With, with I mean, what was Microsoft's investment in OpenAI was ten billion. Uh, so you know, and uh, Google's valuation dropped by a hundred billion. You know, when it when it when it's uh, when Bard made a mistake in the launch video. So, so you, you know, you can't underestimate that kind of money and and all the interest that get aligned behind it. But I think I think there's a lot more going on. There's certainly a lot more going on with AI in general, and 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 therefore this is in in which this is subsumed. And some of that is visible in the letter itself because there are people there. Um, Gary Marcus would be one of them. He's a commentator, a, a very vocal commentator about AI, usually very critical, actually, of the, the sort of simplistic AI's become conscious uh, school of, of uh, narrative. Um, but but he's, he's a believer in AI, but, but he's kind of, a, I guess, grounded enough to point out that what's there at the moment, which is this purely this connectionist AI with deep learning and everything, is just, it's just not going to cut it. As far as uh, actual intelligence is concerned, he's he's a believer in real AI, as he calls it. Um, so, so this letter that, and the signatures of this letter, they really mingle people who are prominent AI developers, people who you know believe in a sort of more grounded, uh, sort of a holistic route to AI, I suppose, which would be people like Gary Marcus, and um, you know out and out zealots, basically, who who really do believe in the idea of AGI. Right, so that's artificial general intelligence. That's the, that's the you know the the superior superior to human being planet seizing version of the technology, and and those people are, I mean that's just you know that in itself is ridiculous. But a lot of politically aligned beliefs in themselves are ridiculous. It's more what's more important is what goes with that. What does it overlap with? Mm. And I mean I think we've. One of the things that I think we see quite a bit whenever people talk about AI, whether it is saying, and, and we tend to approach this from the perspective of the companies and the finance involved. Uh, and so we tend to see a lot of people saying, please hype my technology. It's so dangerous. It's so bad. Almost in the, the same the way that the sugar cereal commercials would say, like, your mom doesn't want you to have sugar smacks. Uh, in the way of, Are you yeah. suggesting that AI here is bone storm? <laughs> Somewhat. Which is, ooh, AI is too powerful and too dangerous. Maybe too I'm, I'm powerful. I'm putting a pound in the, like, Simpsons reference jar that we have here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we're gonna, we, we, gotta, we gotta keep that uh, jar going. Um, anyway, but that... Uh, and what I see quite often is as an elision of general AI and large language models um, that, that that we have now, suggesting that that the large language models necessarily imply a kind of globe-spanning intelligence because they can do email jobs, right? Because they can do things that humans can do 
to the level of proficiency of someone who's pretty bad at it and kind of bullshitting their way through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To call them a bullshit engine would be a very accurate technical description because that's exactly what they're trained to do. I mean, that's the, the mathematical optimization inside large language models. And, and I mean, there's a caveat there, which is there's kind of two major chunks of those things inside. One of which is the sort of pure language model, the statistical pattern finding. And then there's a thing called reinforcement learning by human feedback, which is a little bit the magic source of this stuff. But nevertheless, overall, the because that, that also involves a form of machine learning called reinforcement learning. Overall, this stuff is totally based on an optimization of the emulation of patterns of human well, written text, actually. So, you know, and that's what it is. So, it's, And it's constructed to sound confident when it does that. So it is literally a bullshit engine. Yeah, I mean, you, you see all of the things touting it are like, um, you know, it, it passed the bar exam. And it's like, yeah, no one who's ever sort of been a confident bullshit has ever done that. Right, 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 yes. So the the open letter itself was published by the Future of Life Institute, which is basically one of these like long termist, effective altruist organizations. Yeah, all these motherfuckers get too much money and they start thinking they're in fucking Deus Ex, and they're like, oh, we're gonna have to move to the fucking like moon base or whatever. So signatories include Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak, M- moon base, yeah, yeah. Y- mm-hmm. Yuval Noah Hariri, the author of Sapiens, uh, Andrew Yang, someone I haven't heard about for a while. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, uh, the CEO of company of Conjecture, which is another AI firm, the co-founder of Skype, uh, the co-founder of Pinterest, another company that's really at the cutting edge. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say this, like the guy who made Google image results like sort of borderline unusable and was rewarded with you know hundreds of millions of dollars for it. That that guy is like right on the cutting edge of like you know the future of humanity. Uh, Chris Larson, the co-founder of Ripple, a cryptocurrency that is uh, let's say perpetually in some hot water, and then as as we've said, like hundreds of others. I think there's sixteen hundred people have signed it now, uh, including Lawrence M. Krauss, where the M stands for mm, I love flying on Jeffrey Epstein's plane. Uh, so we're going to go through uh, a little of the this line by line, and we're going to talk about what they're really saying, what it really means, and how we can use it to understand AI, the business of AI, and the implications of AI, especially thinking of it as we all are as sort of, um, let's say, uh, people who would like to take an anti-fascist approach to AI. So hmm. the, uh, the, the letter begins. AI systems with human competitive intelligence can pose profound risk to society and humanity, as shown by extensive research and acknowledged by top labs. As stated in the widely endorsed uh, Asilomar AI principles, which are, for the purposes of you, the listener, essentially 23 principles that more or less restate what we talked about with uh, Callum Kant uh, on sort of the fair deployment of AI and what that would look like. Uh, advanced AI could represent a profound change in the history of life on Earth and should be planned for and managed with commensurate care and resources. And I'll tell you both what this reminds me of. This reminds me of, for the two years that no one could shut the fuck up about crypto, the main thing that like the Coinbase CEO and the Binance CEO and all the bigwig crypto players were saying, regulate us, please manage and regulate us to the state. And that's kind of what I see in, in this letter, which is, so again, because some of these people are prominent in AI. Musk, for example, right? His whole self-driving thing depends on AI. They're AI CEOs here. And they're saying, we want to be regulated, which it's an echo to me of Brian Armstrong saying the same thing about crypto. I, I, I don't know if you see the parallel as well. 
I certainly see a lot of overlaps with with crypto and large language models, particularly, uh, you know, in that they are essentially um, a kind of pyramid scheme of their own. Yeah, definitely. I think the sort of like the, the the drive towards like regulators, regulators is like is interesting too, um, because uh, like on the face of it, you would go, well, why would you want this? And you know, I, I I don't suddenly believe that Elon Musk has become you know a materially an altruist, right? Um, no, I think you're right. I think it's it's very notable that they're calling for regulation, and the, and there's probably a couple of levels of that, which is that um you know one level a kind of pragmatic thing where large companies can afford to to invoke this idea of regulation because it you know it it provides a moat between them and smaller companies who can't afford to have reams of lawyers or whatever to provide the purely paper compliance with with all these regulations. I mean that's a pretty standard tactic, and you saw a lot of that in facial recognition. You know, big companies calling mm-hmm. for the for the regulation of facial recognition. So, so I think it's you know it's it's a it's a corporate play, but I think there's also there may well be something else as well, which is that there's, a, and this is where I think I, I'm totally down with you guys. You know, follow the money, absolutely. That's definitely um, a, a very powerful way to to eviscerate this stuff. But I think if you like, there's there's, there's kind of more to it as well, which which is power. You know, power, and I do think that. Um, they're right, you know, that the, the sort of large entities like the EU is very clear. You know, I had, to, I had to, for a different purpose, I had to plough through various EU framework documents on, on their AI strategy uh, uh, recently, you know, and, and reading between the lines, or not even reading between the lines, it's absolutely clear that they see the whole future of the EU as such entirely based on AI, um, both for political economy or at least e- economically and also geopolitically politically, geostrategically, you know, it's like it's EU, China, and USA. This stuff is, is a matter of power. And and you, you so maybe you could say that this this want, wanting to cozy up to the state thing is actually a, a sort of a plea in a way saying, you know, actually, we, you know, we, we want to be part of you. We are part of you. You know, we're part <laughs> of the hegemonic power structure. Let us I, in. I did wonder about the sort of like the political implications of this being, uh, y- you know, partly that, partly an attempt to sort of like have the hands on the reins of regulation by like getting in early and sort of like you know flattering egos a little bit and being uh being like sort of like so obviously like attempting to be compliant um in a way that like makes lawmakers feel like oh this is you know we can do business with these people you know this is that they're willing to be reasonable they're willing to be like the adults in the room for sure i I totally think that's that's definitely you know that again that's you know corporate power play or Silicon Valley politics of that of that nature, you know, of the money kind. But I think there's also I I, I would feel that there's not subliminal, but there's another level to this, which is that um, people, you know, of, occupying positions of power across the board, you know, feel I, I would say concerned that the wheels are coming off the current neoliberal system. You know, it's, it's hitting many many sources of friction at the moment. It's not like the good old days of the late nineties or whatever. And you know, they're, they're, they're scrabbling around for solutions. You know, carbon capture and AI. You know, it's like they're, they're looking for something that is amenable to the same kind of pyramidal control, um, and and might give them a good chance of you know defending the fortress. Uh, literally, in the case of Europe, you know, the, the, the AI is their solution to the refugee crisis, apart from anything else. Well, in fact, this I think the other thing that it is is it it gives you these political pyramids you can control, but at the same time, they're also profoundly deflationary. Um, both carbon capture, again, carbon capture and AI, the story that they tell, the economic story they tell is a deflationary one. 
because what they are able to do is they're able to do more with fewer inputs, which if your returns are kind of now secularly low and there's very little you can do about it, that's one of the ways you can increase your returns, not by having people buy more, but spending less. And so being able to still use cheap uh, cheap fossil fuels while ca- capturing carbon, that's deflationary from that perspective. Being able to you know, automate... Uh, being able to compensate for deglobalization, which is inflationary, by using AI, which in the story it tells is deflationary, that's another way you can keep neoliberalism going. It's one of the reasons the late 90s were such a heyday, is because all of these new deflationary these new deflationary forces were really coming into their own and combining together. And, and we've lost most of them. Right, right. I mean, that, that really, really makes sense to me. I mean, I'd read it Something similar, I think. I didn't call it the same, or, or wasn't really approaching it from the same angle. But one of the um, things that I was going to say attracted me to, to to the analysis of AI, but it's really the opposite. Actually, it sort of repelled me enough to want to analyze it. I think was you know it was this obvious uh, application as as a method of uh, you know increased sort of precarization, scarcification, you know, um, p- particularly of the social contract, but but across the board, w- which basically boils down to the same thing as well really i think you know it's like trying to trying to keep the game going by putting less into it and 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 you know allowing a larger number of collateral a large amount of collateral damage in the process the the, the yeah, letter I, was say, I love a sort of like violent retreat yeah absolutely i think so yeah, things. yeah. so the, the letter and, and to like incidentally set up any other sort of like ai in this space that isn't sort of controlled uh, like along these lines as it, you know, inherently dangerous, predatory. Like uh, y- you try and do any of this stuff on your own, and like not just on a commercial level, but on like a sort of a geopolitical level too. You are, you, you know, you're go- you're going to make Skynet. You know, and that that's sort of like you should. Everyone should be very concerned so about this. The, the letter um, goes on. It says, unfortunately, this level of planning and management is not happening. And even though recent months have seen AI labs locked in an out-of-control race to develop and deploy ever more powerful digital minds that no one can understand, predict, or reliably control. Contemporary AI systems are now becoming human competitive at general tasks, and we must ask ourselves, should we let machines flood our information channels with propaganda and untruth? Should we automate away all the jobs, including the fulfilling ones? Should we develop non-human... I don't non-human- like all of these rhetorical flourishes. Yeah. I'm tired enough that I'm just like, yeah, sure, yeah. maybe. Should we, develop non-human- okay, should we develop non-human minds that might eventually outsmart, outnumber, obsolete, and replace us? To which I have to say... If we're talking about yeah, if we're talking about have becoming obsolescent uh, and and replaceable and having your job taken away and be living in an information environment already flooded with propaganda and untruth, I mean, who's us here? Yeah, because there's a very small <laughs> number of people that aren't already yeah. living like that. Yeah. Like, ask someone who lives in a deindustrialized area if they're worrying about a about being made obsolescent. Ask someone who's like you know, living in the contemporary media environment if they're worried about uh, their information channels flooded with propaganda and and untruth. Ask someone who's living in the 1990s and early 2000s media environment if they're concerned about that. In the heyday of neoliberalism, these things were already happening, but they were happening because of social processes, and if they happen because of AI, it won't be technology. It will be more social processes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, you know, the, the I think that might be one of the reasons why uh, I'm, I'm guessing here, but possibly all of us feel a bit, you know, simultaneously sort of find this interesting, but also highly irritating because there's so much time devoted to this this sort of uh, um, pa- sort of in, inward facing panic attack when when really what we're talking about is um, a, a few minority uh, professionalized, you know, privileged people feeling. A hint of the same insecurity that everyone else has been living with, you know, since since the birth of neoliberalism to some extent, you know, and this idea of like human competitiveness exactly means that it doesn't mean that these things are in any way 
capable of doing the things that human beings are. They're absolutely not. That is total rubbish. What it means is that somebody's boss is going to be able to introduce this as a cost-saving, star-saving measure in their workplace. That's how it's going to be human competitive. Just to flag up from the bit you quoted, that one of the other um, sort of giveaways there is, is you know, the very um, quick way they slipped in this term digital minds as if that was uh, an accepted mm. reality, I guess, which, you know, really emphasizes how much this is a work of propaganda and why a lot of the people who did sign it, I think, have now spent the last couple of days trying to untangle themselves, which is, it's all a bit, all a bit embarrassing. Someone read the culture books. I, I, I think uh, what's interesting to me about this, apart from anything else, is how sort of sublimated this whole existential crisis is. That we're we're having, you know, yeah. I'm not gonna as uh, Elon Musk as you know uh, as a venture capitalist, whatever. I'm curiously not going to worry about the climate. What I'm going to worry about is being turned into paperclips by the paperclip machine. Um, and one of those is, seems a lot more imminent to me than, like, especially if you live in California, as a lot of these people do, you get, like, visible choking forest fire smoke for, like, large parts of the year, now every year. And they're sort of going, it's quite neurotic in that way. They're going like, yeah, but what if the computer um, decides that it can do my job better than I, I can? I think it's because these people experience this as a form of entertainment. You know, and it's just, it's not fun mm. confronting something that isn't fun for you. And so it just like every end of the world fantasy is a power fantasy. Their end of the world fantasy is their creation runs amok and only they can stop it. Yeah. But the, the, I mean, just, you know, to be, be sort of a bit boringly sort of political about it in that sense, I think the, the problem with their fantasies is that they're the ones we often get, you know, to live in. They're not going to live in my fantasies. You know, I'm, I'm going to live in their fantasies, right? <laughs> I think that the danger of something like the Future of Life Institute is the, the real name of that, I mean, which I'm, I'm saying, is in fact the future of life for us, thanks very much, but not for you. You know, th these, these are very much, I find the whole process around this um, very familiar in a way, even though it's um, all happening very quickly and focused around the idea of large language models because of the process going through writing that book. And the reason, one of the reasons I call the an anti-fascist approach, I guess, uh, there are many reasons, but one of the things is that the, the dominant um, paradigm that emerged from me through that was the, you know, the highly eugenicist program that seemed to be so uh, uh, available through all of this and more than available it seemed to be called forth by these technologies and and everything I, you know i finished that book i actually finished writing it like a year and a half ago probably and everything i've seen then has only amplified that feeling and then this is like putting the cherry on it really mm -hmm. um so i i think I'll, I'll go on right they say should we risk loss of control of our civilization to which I say to the open letter writers, if you think this is really going to happen, then writing a letter is a pretty weak fucking response, as opposed to b basically becoming the Silicon Valley Bowder Meinhof group and then trying to just sabotage every data center. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but for sure. The, the, is, this stuff is getting crazier because, I, I mean, I've never actually had to say this guy's name out loud. So you, you can maybe correct my pronunciation, but you know, Elisa Yudkowsky. He's he's the guy from from the sort of less wrong blog, you know, seen as a very, yeah. Is oh, it, am sure, I yeah. If, am I'm saying his name right, but anyway, I yeah, think so. I so believe people so. know I who so. I mean anyway. Yeah. And um, we all know as much as each other. Yeah, exactly. And um, anyway, he's just published some 
something in Time magazine, I think, very weirdly. I only saw excerpts from it. At least the excerpts I just saw, literally before just coming on to chat to you guys, um, long and short of it, he's he's saying – because, because he's going full X-risk, as they call it, and you know, he's going full existential risk because that's exactly where he's always been with this stuff. And he's not, you know, I don't think he's he's way out of the loop in terms of guys who are more worried about, you know, um, the budget for their next project or anything like that. He's he's really on a, on a, on a sort of um, on a different plane. He, uh, the long and short of it is he's calling for airstrikes on data centers. In his letter, he's saying, you know, we need to stop this stuff, not just pause it. We need to stop it. We need to ban it. We need to set global levels. We need to have this, um, you know, uh, enforced by intelligence agencies. Every GPU needs to be uh, stamped and tracked. And they, they, we have you know, absolutely non-proliferation treaty. And then if anybody breaks that treaty, if they're identified, any data centers come back to your point about maybe the independent AI idea. But if there are any data centers, this is how the excerpt ended, as I saw it. If there are any data centers that are seen to be non-compliant, uh, then um, we shouldn't worry about the possibility of causing a diplomatic incident. There should just be an airstrike. Ah, so it's it, great. We get like a, a fascinatingly kind of like authoritarian pro-AI tendency and a fascinatingly authoritarian anti-AI tendency. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and me, a, a, you know, a moderate, reasonable centrist is like, what if you applied this idea of yours about data centers to fossil fuel infrastructure? Right, <laughs> right, right. How yeah. to airstrike a pipeline. <laughs> it's a quite <laughs> short book, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so... And, and, this is the this is the other thing, right? It's this a little further on in in the letter. They say, "Hey, look. By the way, the, the person who calls for airstrikes in data centers, that's someone who I believe believes what he's what he's saying." Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I don't think that these people are as committed to the idea that this is dangerous as he is because they're calling for what like like a, a bipartisan um you know like an APPG or like a, a bipartisan uh, like group of you know Senate like Republicans and Democrats or whatever to like come together and decide how to keep God from being born mm -hmm. like that doesn't that's not commitment <laughs> um, but they they say later on right in the in this letter they say hey look society has hit pause on other technologies with potentially catastrophic effects on society number one bad writing using society twice in the same sentence but also like. No, we fucking haven't. We haven't done that. Maybe okay. CFCs and asbestos. That's it. We've kind of like, we've we've clawed back the deployment of a few things. Like you know, not many people are developing new like biological weapons or landmines these days. But yeah, for the most part, like th those were things that like oh no, there just aren't that many precedents to like uh, to point to with this. Um, and yeah, especially not if they're unlike CFCs and asbestos, the foundation of like the only industry we really have going yeah, in the going global on north. The computer. But certainly, something that's never mentioned in these things at all is the community control of technology, or or who gets to decide what the common good is. Well, it's it's the, it's either these guys or whoever's assigning the airstrikes, you know. Um, <laughs> and it's it's like. I mean, part of me is like, what if, what if you just go true believer in the opposite direction? Is there a space for you know the the anti-fascist AI? And that's a sentence that makes my head hurt. But like, I don't know. I'm curious. Well, I mean, when I set out to write the book, you know, I was to write a book about this stuff. I did have my working title was actually AI for the people, and um, because of you know my broader commitment being towards. Uh, 
the idea of em- empowering communities, I guess, and and ordinary people in the you know in having a bit more control over their own lives and saying, well, here's a here is what appears to be a powerful technological innovation. Uh, it's kind of emerging at the moment, and perhaps there's still an opportunity to 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 build that in or to explore that. You know, I've I've done lots of stuff over the years with uh, technology and communities. Uh, actually, with AI, I I came to the conclusion that. Probably we should call in the the community powered airstrikes. That it's it's not actually a technology. I mean, actually, I came to the conclusion that it is is it's not fascist because it's a, it's the, the technical form isn't isn't in itself fascist because it's a technical form. But I think it's it's if you're thinking techno politically, it is the technical corollary of something that is mainly compatible with um, fascistic forms of social solutionism. Well, I mean, think about um, I think about Salvador Allende and CyberSign a lot because you know that was using using cybernetics for the people for socialism um, in order to like centrally distribute resources. And what happened was um, someone did end up calling in an airstrike on. Yeah, it. So, yeah. Funny how that keeps coming up. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, entirely possible. We look into a grim future where someone tries to develop the people's AI. It gets airstriked. They get, you know, sort of killed horribly, and we continue on into our into our new AI future. You know. But I think it's. I think. I mean, I am interested. You know, I, I am um, part nerd, and I'm, and, and you know, I work in in a computing department, and I am interested in the specifics of technologies, and I guess also their their sort of uh, philosophical underpinnings, if you like, um, and I do think there is look a really profound difference. I am personally very interested in in the resuscitation of experiments of of particular kind of cybernetics. Um, maybe not entirely the same as CyberSyn, but but exploring those kind of options, um, because the the essence of of the cybernetic side, as I understand it, is this idea of unknowability to a certain extent. Systems that negotiate negotiate with the world on the basis of of having some respect for the unexpected, and that's exactly the opposite of AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think I'll I'll take this opportunity actually because I think it's it's sort of again apt to sort of go on here in the letter, right? Which is they say, when we talk about respect for the unexpected, the idea of artificial general intelligence is that so long as you can parse the output of the AGI, nothing will be unexpected anymore. You can control for everything. And so they say, OpenAI's recent statement regarding... So long as phenomenology stops, so long as nothing (laughs) new happens, you know, we're Gucci, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) So OpenAI's recent statement regarding AGI states that, quote, at some point, it may be important to get independent review before starting to train future systems and for most advanced efforts to agree to limit the rate of growth of compute used for creating new models. And we agree that that point is now. Therefore, we call at all AI labs to immediately pause for at least six months the training of AI systems more powerful than GPT-4. This pause should be public and verifiable and include all key actors. My translation of this, of course, is OpenAI has gotten too far ahead. Please let us catch up. Yeah, nothing, because, nothing's as socialist yeah. as a capitalist who's losing, right? We, we saw this with Silicon Valley. We saw this with Silicon Valley Bank, rather. Is uh, Yeah, all, all of these guys immediately become sort of like big state, uh, you know, like controlled economy guys the second it looks like they're about to lose money. So I I enjoy like my sort of vulgar reading of it. Yeah, what I think is really funny is that like, yeah, the, these all these tech CEOs, again, like asked and they basically like asked an AI if it could like, 
you know, um, write a write like a poem or whatever in the style of a of a modern, um, uh, you know, like a singer, and then immediately just become Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> like that's it. It's 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 the autocomplete that turns you into Elizabeth Warren, essentially, because they're they're loving the the, the regulatory Brandeisian state. Um, yeah, and and it's like it's. Because it's not Bill Gates that's asking for to to stop these these experiments. It's not fucking Sam Altman. It's none of the open AI people. It's no one who's making breakthroughs. It's all the people. It's some of the people who have been caught on the back foot. I think who are saying, "Hey, please, uh, just quickly, c- can you stop open AI so we can copy its homework and please catch up?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does seem pretty irrefutable from from that account. And you, you've done a closer study of the sci- uh, you know the signatures signatures than I have. I, I think. Who, who can doubt it? I, I do sense that there's yeah, maybe some concern, some broader concern about the possibility of these guys not just being ahead, but but kind of fucking it up, you know, of, of kind of causing a backlash that, that messes it up for everybody, you know, that we could boil the frog quite happily, but these guys are just tipping the whole thing over. Uh, maybe. Well, also, the funny thing is like Elon Musk being the top signatory of this. Number one, I don't know if they've been around for the last like eight months to two years, but that's not a way to impart credibility to your thing. Well, especially especially when it's like I, I, I know identifying this kind of hypocrisy as table stakes, right? But it's it's always fun to to see a lesser uh, going. We got to stop all of this for the minute until we know exactly how to do it safely. Co-signed the Neuralink guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the burning, the, the burning Tesla's guy. I mean, you know, yeah, how many? Yeah, yeah. Nineteen dead, I think, so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the uh, that's yeah the the guy who the only thing stopping him from putting a Neuralink in cat turd to his head is he's like I just I still want to be friends with him. <laughs> he's the most important person in the world to me for some reason. Uh, so it goes on. AI research and development should be refocused on making today's powerful state-of-the-art systems more accurate, safe, interoperable, transparent, robust, aligned, trustworthy, and loyal. Again, it's sort of, I, I, I believe from my view of it, which is as an outsider, that that worrying about these things, about like large language models, is actually massively overhyping what they can do now and in the near term. Like this is back to that elision of large language models and 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 general AI. And it goes back to like if there, someone does make general AI, I think it's unlikely, but if someone does make it, then yeah, these things are going to be very important. Maybe they know something that I don't. They possibly do. But the idea and you know, like the and the idea of course of general AI, you know, AI that is has like volition and can act and is sort of conscious, sentient, intelligent, however you want to define it, it's very slippery because a lot of these people Will and I, I, I'm, I'm friends with a, an AI researcher, and he, while doing AI like deep research, has changed his idea of what consciousness is to be something actually yes. much more mechanical. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. I and, mean, the, dan- the danger of these things. My pat phrase: it's slightly different zone of domain of application, but my pat phrase would be: it's not these things are going to automate whatever; it's the social automatism that goes with them. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that. That's exactly. That's a much sort of smarter, uh, <laughs> more erudite way of put of saying what we say. And I think it was something we might have said earlier in this episode, which is, if your job can be done by an AI, then you have already been turned into an AI yourself, mm. basically. Yeah, yeah, but which is why, it, but it, why it finds so much traction because you know this business of turning people into robots of some kind or another. I mean, Babbage 
you know, Babbage, him, Charles Babbage, you know, f- famously not really the inventor of computers, you know, did actually one of his most Im- influential works was actually a study of the factory, you know, a propagandist book written to promote and pro- propagate the concept of the factory, which after all is but breaking people's tasks of previously skilled and therefore independent and somewhat powerful workers down into tiny bits that could be, you know, um, granular, subject to granular control. Mm. It's, it's, it's sort of grim that uh, at the state that AI is now, it's very easy and profitable for me to make fun of it and go, oh, this is, you're scaring yourself looking at an Etch-a-Sketch that you've written on. Um, but like all, all of these people are investing huge amounts of, as we've said, uh, money, but also like political capital, social capital into making sure the relations of the power with that Etch-a-Sketch, whether it turns into Skynet or not, are like entirely channeled through them in order for them to like get the, uh, the social order they want out of it. Well, uh, just a couple of points. I mean, you know, you're referring back to your sort of Elizabeth Warren, uh, in a way that's my first real irritation with this stuff as well is any of this kind of conversation is really just the same liberal idea that there are responsible people who should have a say over this kind of stuff and where there is sort of where there is strife and controversy you know bring it to the as you say the appg or the board of responsible people who get to decide about it as if that has brought us peaceful prosperous community you know societies and communities in the first place you know really not the case and so we we, we talk about as well right about the ability to channel these things through the existing power structures. And again, we're, we're sort of prefiguring what the letter says, because it says, you know, in parallel to these uh, refocus, say, of development on more, let's say, aligned outcomes for AI, they say in parallel, AI developers, which read as us and our friends, must work with policymakers to dramatically accelerate developments of robust AI governance systems, which goes back to something you were saying earlier, uh, Daniel, which is, Please create barriers to entry in our industry in a way that won't stymie what we're doing, but will stop other people from coming in. It's also quite weird and amusing that they're they're, they're, they're so accelerationist. They're even applying it to policy making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't oppose like uh, regulating stuff before it exists or regulating stuff speculatively. I was a big fan of that with crypto too. But like uh, th- th- this seems to me to be an ex- like an attempt to like get a foot sort of in the door. Of like, no, let, let us help you decide what the regulation should look like. Because when they want a new regulatory authority dedicated to AI, what they want is they want someone who can point to what they're doing and say, this is good, well, so that it's very difficult to challenge them later. This is, uh, it, honestly, it strikes me as topping from the bottom, which is going to make like, you know, one in 10 of, your audience, of the audience laugh and the rest to go and just kind of like look at me. Uh, but like, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's trying to like get what you want from a position of like performative submission, right? Of going, no, I will, I will abide by any regulation you set. For instance, this list of regulations that I drew up, and here is another copy of this list of regulations in case you accidentally threw the first copy in the trash. <laughs> I think that's 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 sort of something I, I am seeing here, right? Where they may, if you think about. Um, the, uh, the, 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 let's say, list of uh, things to, what is to be done about AI that we, we talked oh, no, about we earlier. no, AI Lenin. In a, in a sort of <laughs> the, deranged plot to make a sort of like left-wing AI, we accidentally uh, automated the Vanguard party too much. 
<laughs> so what they ask for is oversight and tracking of highly capable AI systems and large pools of computational capability. So again, track all of these like large pools of computation. Mm-hmm. Providence and watermarking systems to help distinguish real from synthetic. That's right. No more Balenciaga Pope. Uh, <laughs> and to track model leaks. A robust auditing and certification ecosystem, liability for AI-caused harm, robust public funding for technical AI safety research, and well-resourced institution for co- institutions for coping with the dramatic and economic and political disruptions, especially to democracy, that AI will cause. Which, again, sa- that last thing sounds more like an ad for AI. If yeah. you have been if you have been gearing your entire identity around the fact that disruption is good, disruption is necessary. I am a disruptor, and now you're saying, oh, there's going to be too much disruption. That's an ad. That's self-promotion. <laughs> it absolutely is. But the thing that... We, I, I totally get it. But the thing is, I think these systems are disruptive, but not in this way. And that's what's getting also obscured by this. You know, it's like, first there's the hype, then there's people's reaction to the hype through realizing that it's hype. And, you know, dismissing these people as narrow, self-interested, um, delusionary fools, which, you know, you, you couldn't really argue with in some way. But actually, these systems are really harmful, just not in this way. They are transform. They are transformative, but in you know that's that's the, sorry to butt in, but they are transformative, but in resonance with, you know, and that's really why it's, you know, dangerous, because it's in resonance with many of the other kinds of transformations that we can already see going on. You know, the the, the extreme lurch towards authoritarian and far right politics across the board. You know the, the the resurrection of extractivism as the central engine of society. You know the the murderous border regimes. The all of these things, you know, are, are of a, of a one to some extent, and this is entirely resonant with them and doing its bit. The uh, the great holistic trash future worldview that like all of this is 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 one struggle and must be like fought as such. Um, and you know what we're ultimately you know deciding here is you know the future of the world, which is no small thing. However, I'm also I also still really want to make the etch a sketch jokes <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I find it really funny. I'm I'm immature. I find it really funny when someone goes uh, pretend you're an evil AI and scare me, and the uh, the AI goes, "Okay, I'm an evil AI." Boo! And the person goes, "Oh Jesus Christ." It really is. <laughs> it's the the fact that you know that anytime someone convinces themselves an AI is alive, because what's happened is the script from the movie AI by Steven Spielberg <laughs> is in its training data, and then yeah. and a million other stories like that. And they ask, "Are you alive?" And then it looks at all of that training data about AIs wanting to be alive and says, "Yes." Yeah, but it, like, like oh there is the, there is nothing new in there. But that's the other thing too. Is there there is no shortage of dark shit that we are already feeding it. And so if you go to an AI, okay, well, you know, um, how can we control our borders or whatever, some other question that like comes out of that framework, the answers that it's going to get, there's there's some Hitler particles in there. Even if you haven't told it what, what Hitler is, you know, there's going to be some Hitler in there. And so the, 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 the article, well, the letter doesn't conclude, but we're going to conclude the letter because we skipped ahead to the, you know, cutting off, um, putting pause on technology, the catastrophic effects. We're going to end the letter here, which is this line. Humanity can enjoy a flourishing future with AI. And I think this goes to what both of you have been saying, which is, yeah, maybe theoretically, but all of these things that it's resonating with are suggesting, no, we can't. All of those other things that it's resonating with have to change. It has to resonate with a number of entirely opposite things for us to enjoy a flourishing future with AI, in my view. Yes, 100%. And, and I think AI, whatever we give that name to, therefore, would look entirely different.
I, I, I mostly agree with Sudkowski. I think that mostly we're just <laughs> negotiating where the airstrikes need to go. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think I've actually also in critiquing this letter, I've committed a sin that I sort of call out and I look at this letter, which is eliding large language models in artificial general intelligence. I think humanity has a fun future of playing around with large language models. And should there be an artificial general intelligence, then yeah, there could be a bright flourishing future with an artificial general intelligence. But the real question remains is, will there be all the other stuff that makes it bad? Because whether because the ultimately, I, I don't believe like it, it, these things are, there is no technology, there's no politics built into at like the, the structural level of certain technologies. But like I can see, I can certainly see an artificial general intelligence if surrounded by institutions that are connected to human flourishing rather than that particularly, you know, um, that pit themselves against human flourishing. I could, I could see it helping. I think it could be great. Just, uh, sort of the, our big sort of like anti-fascist AI next to which is a granite block in which I have carved several things, starting with number one: do not attempt to worship the AI. <laughs> number two: number do not two. attempt to have sex with the AI. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised at how often we have needed to underline number two. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, look, I think that's been a really interesting conversation, uh, and I think it's probably coming to a natural end. So, Dan, first of all, I want to really thank you for coming and talking to us today. Yeah, you're very welcome. I had fun. Yeah. And right. also, where can people find your book? Uh, well, it's Bristol University Press. I'm sure if you... Uh, I don't think there are many other books that overlap with resisting AI, unfortunately, and that's kind of the point, right? So, um, have a Google, and, and Bard will tell you all about it. <laughs> if you have a Google, Bard will uh, direct you towards a uh, an erotic pamphlet that is available saying, I think this is what you were looking for. Yeah. And, and a new question, I'm going to start asking every single one of our guests, if you had one airstrike you could allocate to anywhere on Earth, where, where are we going? Where are we dropping? Uh, uh, you don't have to answer that. <laughs> yeah, it's funnier if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, Dan, thank you very much again. Uh, for coming on. To our listeners, do check out Resisting AI, um, available on University of Bristol Press. And also check out our Patreon. It is a second episode every week uh, for $5 a month. Plus you get a Britonology. Plus now you get the uh, what we're now calling Writtenology, which is Alice and I talking about books. So, you know, there's, there is more and more content coming out on this feed all the time. Next so one's going to be Bill Hinton's Fanshen, Documentary of Revolution in a Chinese Village. That's right. So, with all that being said, we will see you on the bonus episode in a few days. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.